what's going on everyone welcome back to another episode of the jt sports podcast aka jt sports live we're going to be talking a lot of college football on this episode for all you guys who've been saying oh jt you don't talk about college football like that anymore you forgot about us no i didn't we're going to be discussing will texas beat alabama has alabama football falling off why the seattle seahawks offense will explode this year Will South Carolina once again overachieve? And then lastly, has the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl window closed? Before we get into it, if you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, leave a like, and subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen to the audio version of the podcast. We're not just available on YouTube. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. All you got to do is go to whichever podcasting service that you use, search up the JT Sports Podcast, and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, and there will be the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. Texas has a lot of hype going into this year, man. And I think that it's well warranted. I do think that Texas is probably going to most likely end up winning the Big 12. And I think that they have a strong chance of making it to the college football playoffs. But they have a big test in front of them, man. They got to go on the road to Tuscaloosa and play Alabama. And we all remember last year, Texas shocked a lot of people with them narrowly beating Alabama. Alabama barely escaped Texas, winning 20-19. And Quinn Ewers, this fool, was going absolutely crazy. And if he never would have got injured, I strongly believe in my heart that Texas would have won that game. And there are a lot of Bama fans who say otherwise, but I feel if Quinn Ewers played that whole entire game from the first quarter to the final snap, Texas would have upset Alabama. But this year, though, they have an even more difficult task of beating Alabama because they have to do it on the road. And Alabama barely loses at home. And I've seen a lot of people pick Texas to beat Alabama this year. And I don't know if I'm ready to say that they will. At least right now, because you're asking Texas to do something that only a handful of teams have done over the past decade. Since Nick Saban has been a head coach at Alabama after his first season in 07, Alabama is like 95 and 8 at home. The last team to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa was that championship-led team by quarterback Joe Burrow and LSU that beat Alabama at home in 2019. And then prior to that, they didn't lose at home for at least the last four years. The last team to beat Alabama at home prior to LSU doing it was Ole Miss back in 2015. So it is extremely tough to beat Alabama when they're playing at home. And if Texas is going to beat Alabama, you're basically telling me that Texas most likely is going to be amongst the best teams in college football because that's the kind of effort that it's going to take to knock off the Crimson Tide where they're defending their home field. But I do think that Texas is more than capable. 
Texas has a really talented offense. You got Quinn Ewers coming back. I believe that he's going to be in for a breakout season this year. His problem last year was more that he was inconsistent at times with his accuracy and his decision making. But when he was on, he was on. He has arguably the best receiving core in all of college football. A.D. Mitchell transfers from Georgia. You got Xavier Worthy, one of the best receivers in college football. Isaiah Neighbor was a really highly talented transfer for Texas when he was coming from Wyoming, but we didn't get to see him play last year because he suffered an injury before the season started. You got Jordan Winnington, and I'm really excited to see how this Texas receiving core is going to fare against Alabama secondary, which many Tide fans feel like this is going to be one of the better secondaries that Nick Saban has had in recent memory. And overall, Alabama's defense should be really good this year. And Texas, this offense and Steve Sarkeesian, they're going to have a very good test really early this season. But Alabama also is going to get tested as well. And the large reason why I think many people feel Texas is going to be able to beat Alabama this year is due to the uncertainty that they're walking into this year at the quarterback position. You don't know who's going to start. It could be Jalen Milrow. It could be Ty Simpson or Notre Dame transfer Tyler Buckner. And even then, if Alabama comes into this game with their QB1, we don't know if that's going to be the guy who finishes off this game. So for Alabama, their concerns at quarterback are going to kind of be answered with how this game plays out. And the best time to upset a team like Alabama is early into the year because early into the college football seasons where a lot of teams kind of can come out a little bit flat, a little bit rusty. And this is probably the best team that Alabama has had to play to open the college football season. Texas, I think, is really going to be able to live up to the hype. I don't know if they're going to be good enough to make it to the college football playoffs this year. I think they can, but I do think they should at least be in the conversation to make it to a New Year's Six Bowl game. This Texas team, I don't think they're all hyped this year. I think that the hype is definitely warranted, and I think that this is going to be the first time in forever that the Longhorns will actually be able to live up to expectation. But you look at Alabama's defense, you got Dallas Turner, and the second there, you got Kool-Aid McKinstry, who is right now projected to be the first cornerback taken in next year's draft. I hope that we get to see him guarding Xavier Worthy 101. That's going to be a very interesting matchup. You got defensive back Malachi Moore. There's a lot of talent on this Alabama defense, especially in the secondary. But if Texas is going to be able to beat Alabama, you're asking them to play one of the best games that they're going to play for the whole entire season, man. Because it's one thing to almost come up close of beating Alabama when you're playing them on your home field. We saw that Alabama's two losses last year both came on the road to last-second scores. LSU had that miraculous two-point conversion that beat Alabama, and then they lost to Tennessee due to a late-game field goal. So if you're going to knock off Alabama when they're defending their home turf, you have to play your best football, and you got to play one of the best games ever. And for Quinn Ewers, is this going to be 
his coming out party. We saw what he did last year against Alabama, but that was last year. This could really be the game that kind of cements Quinn Ewers in the eyes of Texas fans of being that guy for them at quarterback this season. He was the highest rated QB ever when he was coming out of high school, one of the highest. So this man has a lot of fight. He has a lot of talent. And this is going to be the game for him to come out and prove himself. And for Alabama, if you lose this game, think about what the narrative is going to be. Oh, man, Alabama lost to Texas. Maybe Alabama truly is falling off, which we're about to talk about a little bit later. But if Texas loses to Alabama, then the narrative is going to be, oh, man, Texas was overhyped like always. Because there are a good amount of people out there. I don't know if a lot of you guys keep up with it, but there are more people than not who expect Texas to beat Alabama this year, man. And I can definitely see it. I really can't give y'all a prediction. I know you may be disappointed. You may be saying, JT, just give us an effing prediction, man. Just go ahead. I really can't. I got to see more of how this quarterback situation is going to play out for Alabama as we near fall camp. It's just way too early for me to give y'all a prediction. But right now, though, I still kind of lean Alabama 55 to 50%. And the reason why I'm still leaning Alabama is because they're playing at home. You're asking Texas to do something that not too many teams have been able to do in years. You got to be a damn good team to knock off Alabama at home. Not just anybody is able to beat Alabama when they're playing at home in Tuscaloosa. It's really hard to accomplish that. And I'm not saying that I don't think Texas has a chance. Like I said, I'm 55-50 on this. I think there's a 50% chance that Texas can win. And I think there's a 55% chance that Alabama wins this game. And largely the reason why I still kind of lean Bama, at least for right now, we're in June. It's June 21st at the time this is being recorded. is simply due to the fact that it's hard to knock off Bama when they're playing at home. But Texas does have the talent, though. I really do think that this is the squad that Texas is actually going to be able to have more success than they have in the past decade with, man. This is a really talented team, but you're asking a lot out of a team, any team, to knock off Alabama at home. Even some of the best teams in college football haven't been able to beat Alabama at home. So if Texas is able to beat Alabama, I'm pretty sure that the Texas hype is going to be at a all-time high, at least higher than what it has been in recent years. And for Alabama, if they lose this game, I think you're going to have a lot of the Alabama doubters chirping really loud. And that leads me to my next segment. You know, Alabama won the national championship in 2020. And it seems like it was a while ago that it happened because I keep seeing a lot of people on Twitter and on YouTube talking about how Alabama football is falling off. And I'm trying to figure out how has Alabama fallen off? They went 11-2 last year, man. I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan. I wish a disappointing season for us was 11-2. And Alabama has had some of their best recruiting classes in program history. So... I don't get how people can say that Alabama and Nick Saban 
are starting to regress. Has the SEC gotten a lot better? Yes, it has. You see, over the last couple of years, the coaching in the SEC West has really started to step up. You got Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. You got Brian Kelly at LSU. You got Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. You may be low on Jimbo Fisher, but I still hold Jimbo Fisher in high regard. The SEC West is as talented now as it ever has been. But when you look at the past recruiting classes that Alabama has brought in, I mean, they have either finished number one or number two the last five years. The last time Alabama didn't have a number one or number two recruiting class was in 2018. And I know not a lot of people believe that Alabama has fallen off, but believe it or not, I talk to a lot of people, especially some of my friends, who tell me that Alabama is starting to fall off, and I really don't believe it. I am never going to doubt Nick Saban. As long as Nick Saban remains the head coach of Alabama, they will always get the benefit of a doubt from me. And I know some of you non-Alabama fans get pissed off with that, but I do think Nick Saban deserves that. And with the college football playoffs, Moving to 12 teams next year, Alabama is pretty much the closest thing that there is to a lock with the fact that you made it even easier for them to get back to the playoffs. If the college football playoffs stayed at four teams, I kind of would lean slightly to Alabama maybe not being able to get back to that level. But you expanded that thing to 12 teams. You just pretty much guaranteed that Alabama, as long as Nick Saban remains the head coach there until he retires, is always going to be in the national championship conversation. 12 teams, bro, you pretty much have carved the path for Alabama to be in the football playoffs every single year, the college football playoffs, excuse me, every single season. So for the people who keep saying Alabama is falling off, show me where Alabama is falling off. Are they falling off in recruiting? Because they still keep recruiting top two or number one classes year after year after year. Are you telling me they're falling off because they lost two games on the road due to last second scores? It takes teams, they're all out all to knock off Alabama. Texas A&M nearly beat Alabama without Jalen, without Bryce Young. Texas A&M nearly beat Alabama when they had Jalen Milrow at QB. Imagine if Bryce Young would have played that game. That game probably wouldn't have been all that close. I mean, LSU, it took them a last second two-point conversion to knock off Alabama when they were at home. Same thing with Tennessee. I mean, like, it's really hard to say that Alabama is falling off when not too many teams can beat them when they're playing at home. Alabama hasn't lost at home since 2019 when they lost that championship winning LSU team. So for the people out there, and I don't think there's a large amount of people out there who believe that Alabama's falling off, but I do think there's a good amount of college football fans out there that I see walking to this comment section every time I talk about Alabama or say something positive about them and say, man, Alabama's starting to fall off, man. Like, people want Alabama to fall off so bad, but that's not going to happen. 
You just made it even simpler for them to keep on having repeated success by expanding the college football playoffs. Now Alabama can lose two games and still make it into the playoffs. I don't think Alabama, as long as Nick Saban remains the head coach, is going anywhere. And I know a lot of you guys are getting frustrated with that, but I mean, it's just the truth. There are three people that I have learned to never doubt. Tom Brady before he retired, LeBron James, and Nick Saban. Every time you count out Nick Saban, this dude comes back better than ever. And you look at what Nick Saban has done this offseason, yeah, there's a lot of skepticism and uncertainty about his staff hires, but I still trust Nick Saban's judgment. I mean, not too many people expected Alabama to be able to knock off Georgia in the SEC championship game in 2021. I remember there were people who were on ESPN and on FS1 who were saying that Georgia may end up blowing out Alabama in that game. And look how that turned out. Because you remember, they were going into that game the week before, barely beating Auburn. That was probably the worst performance of the season. Their offensive line did not play well for pretty much the whole entire season. And then all of a sudden, their offensive line plays lights out against one of the best defenses in the history of college football. And yes, they did lose to Georgia in the national championship game, but Nick Saban considered that to be a rebuilding year. So Alabama has one down year where they're not in the championship picture, and yet people just want to try to say that Alabama has fallen off. Like, I really don't understand that. I really don't understand that. Like, why are people trying to kind of force a narrative that Alabama is just declining they are not declining as much as you people want these folks to be bad as long as Nick Saban is the head man down there in Tuscaloosa they aren't going anywhere and with the new expanded college football playoffs coming they're only going to have an easier path to continue this dynasty that Nick Saban has had running for well over a decade this is a football factory they don't rebuild, they reload. And I know with the rise of Georgia, it's easy to look at Alabama and look a little bit down on them, but they still are on the same level as Georgia. Now, Georgia may have slightly elevated above Alabama, but I don't think the gap between Georgia and Alabama is all that big. I still think that Alabama should be the favorite to make it out of the SEC West, even though I do think that LSU and Texas A&M are going to be able to compete and challenge them for that division this year. I still expect Alabama to win it. These boys haven't had a recruiting class that has finished outside of the top two in five freaking years. And you're really trying to question how good this team is? You're really trying to say that they are falling off and... I don't think a lot of college football fans feel this way, but I feel like a lot of people kind of have been pushing this narrative that Alabama is in a little bit of a decline. And I'm not saying the large majority of you guys are, but I do think that there's a small community of people out there who believe that Alabama legitimately is starting to fall off. It's not like these guys didn't win a national championship three years ago. Have we forgotten about 2020? That was one of the greatest teams that Nick Saban has had during his time at Alabama. Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. 
I mean, they were loaded that year, man. They Didn't they have, like, three Heisman finalists damn near that season? Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, and Najee Harris wasn't too far away from those guys in that Heisman discussion. I don't get how some people can really have the audacity to even comment or even tweet that Alabama's falling off. Like, how can you be that bold? How can you be that brave to say that? I I just don't get it, man. Like, the rest of the SEC has gotten a lot better. But they still aren't recruiting at the level that Alabama is. Alabama has had top two classes for the last five years. I think it's a little bit absurd for all of the people out there who keep saying that Alabama is falling off to other that out of their mouths. Like, I think you're being incredibly disrespectful. These guys haven't recruited outside the top five since 2018. They still have arguably the best talented rosters every single season. They walk in to SEC conference play. It doesn't matter if they're not playing any great teams to start the season. Like, why do people keep trying to use that argument against Bama? Oh, they play cupcakes. Who cares? They play in the SEC, the toughest conference in college football. They don't need to be playing the best teams in the nation for their out-of-conference schedules. Of course, we're going to give Alabama the benefit of a doubt. They earned that because it's mother-freaking Alabama, people. Look at how they recruit. You guys want Alabama to fall off so bad like you know what it is i think it's the fact that people just hate dominance you remember when people thought the golden state warriors dynasty was over and they won another nba championship i mean same thing with the new england patriots people thought that the new england patriots dynasty was over and they won another super bowl people just hate dominance and i'm trying to tell you that if you're one of those people that hate dominance, and you think Alabama is falling off, then you're a little bit delusional. Alabama ain't going nowhere no time soon until Nick Saban retires. And I'm not saying that a lot of college football fans feel that way, but there's a small community of people who keep uttering this nonsense out of their mouths. And I do largely think that these people are casuals. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it out of Josh Pate's vocabulary, man. Casuals. There's a lot of casuals out there who keep saying that Alabama football is falling off. They keep saying, man, Nick Saban, he, he's scared of NIL. He, he don't like the transfer portal. Ah, oh, blah, blah. Like, come on. Nick Saban ain't scared of shit, man. Y'all scared of Nick Saban. That's why y'all keep trying to change the rules. Y'all had to expand the college football playoffs because you thought that this was the best way to slow down Alabama, and all you did was make it even easier for them. You see what y'all do? Y'all see what y'all do? Y'all keep trying to say these rule changes are going to end up leveling up the playing field and making it equal for teams to get on the same level of Alabama, and all y'all do is make it even more easier for these guys, man. You had a better chance of Alabama falling off by just staying with four teams. Now, all of a sudden, you move to 12 teams and you make it nothing but easier for Alabama to continue their dominance. Alabama is not going nowhere, whether you like it or not. And 11-2 and two for a school like Alabama is not the end of the world because 11-2 and two is Alabama's worst and majority of college football's best.
Alabama has not fallen off, man. I just had to get this off my chest because I keep having a lot of friends of mine who keep saying, man, JT, like, Alabama's starting to fall off. Like, no, they aren't. They had one year where they lost two games. One year where out of the last couple of seasons where they weren't in the college football playoffs. And people just think this is the end of the Alabama dynasty, man. Like, come on, man. Some of y'all folks tripping. It's not that deep, man. Just admit the fact that Alabama is just going to remain on top, competing for national championships along with Georgia until your team gets better enough to knock them off. Y'all keep trying to change the rules, trying to think that there's going to be an easier way when there's not. Step your game up. Recruit better. Get better players from the portal if you want to be able to knock off Alabama. But Alabama football has not fallen off, man. This is far from the end. They aren't going nowhere until Nick Saban retires. And I don't think he plans on retiring anytime soon. If you haven't already, make sure that you like and subscribe to the channel if you are new. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. If you are enjoying this episode of the podcast, make sure that you leave us with a five-star review. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. All you got to do is go to whichever podcasting service that you use, type in the JT Sports Podcast, and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, And you can click on either our Apple or Spotify links and it will take you directly to the JT Sports Podcast. The Seattle Seahawks offense, man, I think is going to be extremely deadly this year, man. I think the Seattle Seahawks are going to explode this year. Geno Smith, you rolled him off, but he didn't write back. He was playing at an MVP level last year. I think he's going to be a legitimate MVP candidate. And not just do you have Geno Smith who's going to take off this season and be even better this year than what he was last year, but this receiving core, man, is absolutely loaded. With the addition of Jackson Smith and the Jigba, I think that the Seattle Seahawks have a top three, top five receiving core in the NFL. We already know about how good DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are, but Jackson Smith and the Jigba in the slot It's going to be a monster, man. This dude is an incredible route runner. He has great hands. He creates great separation on all of his routes. He reminds me a lot of Keenan Allen. Many people knocked Jackson Smith Najiba for his lack of athleticism or lack of explosiveness. But that's the same thing that a lot of people use to knock Keenan Allen. And Keenan Allen has been one of the better wide receivers in the NFL for over the last couple of years. You bear him up with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Who the hell is going to slow down this passing attack? This offensive line last year had the two best rookie offensive tackles in the NFL. And Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross. It's funny how when Russell Wilson played, the offensive line was always a concern. And as soon as he gets traded, the offensive line ends up somewhat becoming a strength. And I think that the offensive line is going to be even better this season with Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas stepping up their play. The rookie seasons were really good for the first half. And the second half, their play kind of dwindled a little bit. 
But I think them going into their second seasons, they really are going to settle in and they're going to end up becoming the best offensive tackle duo in the NFL. You got Kenneth Walker, who had a phenomenal rookie season. And let's not forget that this man didn't even start until week five of the NFL season. This dude was in the running for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Hell, I thought he should have won Offensive Rookie of the Year, being a little bit biased because I had him on all of my fantasy squads. But Kenneth Walker, this dude is one of the most explosive running backs in the NFL. You give this man one carry and he's a threat to take it to the house every single time. And then you drive Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. This dude was a fantastic running back when he was playing under Chip Kelly. He reminds me a lot of James Conner. Not just is he a powerful, explosive back, but he also has really good hands out of the backfield. And then you also have another rookie running back who you drafted out of Georgia and Kenny McIntosh. He also can have a big role in this offense in passing situations. You can also get him out of the backfield, running routes coming out of the backfield, downfield. And he also has really good hands downfield. So you can find a way to get him involved in this offense. Like there are just way too many weapons on the Seattle Seahawks offense going into this season, man. It's kind of unfair. It's kind of unfair how many weapons and how much talent Seattle has on this team. At offensive guard, man, I think that they're going to have incredible play out that position this year. I, there's a rookie center that I really love in a Lua Lua Timmy out of Michigan. I was shocked that this dude didn't get drafted in the late first round, early second round, man. Seattle got this dude for a bargain in the middle portion of the draft. He could end up being a day one starter. You got Noah Fant at tight end who a lot of people forgot about last season because he was getting overshadowed by Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Yeah, they got him from the Russell Wilson trade. Thanks, Russ, for allowing the Seattle Seahawks to cook. The Seattle Seahawks are going to have one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL this year. And if you think that Geno Smith could end up being a legitimate contender for NFL MVP this year, I think that you have a very strong argument for that. Look at what the hell he has around him. You got a great group of running backs. You got one of the most talented receiving cores in the whole entire NFL. You're going to have a really good offensive line with two of the best offensive tackles in the game. And Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. And although you may not consider those guys to be the top at their offensive tackle positions right now, I think by the end of the season, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas are going to be the best offensive tackles or at least two of the best offensive tackles in the league at the end of the 2023 NFL season. This Seattle Seahawks offense is loaded. This is, in my opinion, one of the most talented offenses in the whole entire NFL. They got a great trio of wide receivers, JSN, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Noah Fan is one of the better tight ends in the game. They're going to have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL this year with the development of their two young offensive tackles. This offense is going to explode this season, man. This is going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. If you're somebody that's playing fantasy football, you need to drive 
nearly all the starters on Seattle's offense, man, because this offense is going to be deadly, and they're going to cook this year, man. I think that this has the potential to be a top-five offense. If you slow down the run game, you have to worry about them beating you with the pass. It's going to be hard to stop this offense, man. I don't think that Geno Smith is going to regress. How is Geno Smith going to regress when all the Seattle Seahawks did was give him more talent? That makes no sense. I can understand if Seattle got worse, but all they did was get better. I don't see how Geno Smith just magically regresses unless, you know, he just ends up having father time catch up to him or something catastrophic happens with the play calling or something like that. Geno Smith should be a legitimate contender for NFL MVP this year, man. Like, my dude Juice was just telling me, like, he thinks that Geno Smith is legitimately going to be in that conversation. And I did not push back against that, man. He's right. There's way too much talent for Geno Smith to be throwing the football to for him to have a disappointing season. I think that he's going to build on this, the success that he had last year. And I think that Seattle's offense is going to be amongst the most explosive in the NFL this year. Now, some of y'all are going to say the Miami Dolphins offense is going to be more explosive. And I do understand that I would agree with that with all the speed they have. But Seattle's offense, man, is absolutely stacked, man. Geno Smith should definitely be in the MVP conversation at least going into the start of this season, man, because this offense did nothing but get better. Last year, he had 30 touchdowns to 11 interceptions. He was the best story in the NFL that season. This Seattle Seahawks offense is going to be really deadly or really deadly this upcoming season. And if you're sleeping on them, you better wake up or they're going to come wake you up. The Beamer boys, man. I got a love-hate relationship with Shane Beamer in South Carolina because last season they were snatching souls and breaking hearts, man. You guys know I'm a diehard Hendon Hooker fan and I was absolutely crushed when South Carolina knocked my boy not just out of the game but out of the first round. And then they proceeded to crush Tennessee's playoff hopes. And then what did they do the following week? They upset Clemson. Beamer ball. And once again, South Carolina over exceeds expectations. Last year when I had South Carolina winning eight games, I had a lot of non-South Carolina fans coming at me saying, oh, JT, you tripping, you overrating this team, man. Like, they're going to win seven games at best. And I tried to tell y'all, man, y'all better stop overlooking Shane Beamer. This dude is an incredible football coach. I don't know how the hell he's able to get South Carolina pulling off all these damn upsets, but this dude has the magic touch. And going into this season, he's going to have another tall task ahead of him. There were a lot of talented players who left South Carolina, some for the NFL, some guys like Jaheen Bell and Marshawn Lloyd departed for the transfer portal, and they only have 10 total players combined on both offense and defense who returned. That's amongst the bottom of the SEC and returning players. Now, their defense... You just have to pray on it. This defense was not good last year. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't get off the field on third down. They couldn't get off the field in the red zone. 
but they were pretty good defending the pass. And I think that's going to be the strength of this South Carolina defense. Now, I think that this offense should be really good this season. Spencer Rattler is going into a second season in the South Carolina program. He was really shaky for the first half of the season. But the last couple of games of last year that South Carolina played, Spencer Rattler was playing at a really high level. Six touchdowns against Tennessee. He also had a really good game against Clemson. He had a fantastic performance against Notre Dame and their bowl game. The only problem that I have with Spencer Rattler is that his decision-making needs to improve. And he needs to be more consistent. But if Spencer Rattler plays this season like the way he did the last couple of games of 2022, I definitely think that South Carolina is more than capable of being able to win at least nine games. And when you look at their roster, I know their roster has a lot of concerns and a lot of question marks. Once again, we don't know if this offensive line is going to be good or not. We prayed to the football gods last year for this offensive line to be good, and the football gods didn't answer our prayers. So hopefully they come around this time and Spencer Rattler can have some legitimate protection out there. Now, I don't think the loss of Sean Lloyd is all that big because I don't think he was all that great last year. I still think he was trying to get back to form from that season-ending injury that he suffered not too long ago. He transferred to USC. They do have Juju McDowell, who I think could be in for a breakout season because he can do everything. He's really good catching the football out of the backfield. Not just that, but he's also really explosive with the ball in his hands. And they got a really good transfer out of the transfer portal from Division II. And his name is Mario Anderson. And this is probably my favorite pickup that South Carolina made in the transfer portal. He was transferring from a Division II school called Newberry College. And this dude was a Division II first-team All-American last year. He was the Horton Hill Trophy finalist, which is pretty much Division II's equivalent to the Heisman Trophy. This man was averaging over seven yards per carry. Do you know how impressive that is to do at any level? I don't care if you're playing NAIA, JUCO, D3, D4, D5. If you're averaging over seven yards per carry on any level, you are a dog. You're him. This man had over 1,500 yards and 19 touchdowns. He was a man amongst boys in Division Two, And he's going to South Carolina. Yeah, there's going to be a leg up in competition. But I expect this man to have a really impactful season for South Carolina this year. I think he was an incredible pickup for South Carolina football. They also got Arkansas transfer Trey Knox, who had a really good spring. He also had a really impressive spring game. Eddie Lewis comes from Memphis. I believe he was second team All-American Conference during his time at Memphis last year. So you're going to have some weapons in the passing game to pair alongside of Juice Wells. And for Spencer Rattler, man, I think that this definitely could be the year where he puts it all together and he propels himself back into that first round conversation. Spencer Rattler, I think he started the season out a little bit rough, but the way he closed the 2022 season was on a really high note. And I like how South Carolina just finds a way 
to overachieve. And I, I think it is fair to say, I know South Carolina fans probably don't like that, saying that you overachieved, but you kind of did. Your over-under win total last year was six wins. Before that, people thought that you weren't even going to be able to make it to a bowl game. And some way, somehow, South Carolina was able to find a way to overseed expectations. And once again, Vegas isn't really all that high on South Carolina. And a lot of SEC fans aren't really all that high on South Carolina neither. Like, I was talking to a couple of my homies. They were like, man, you high on South Carolina, dog? Again? I was like, yeah, I told you. And it's ironic that the person who was pushing back against this happened to be a Florida fan. A Florida fan. Y'all got Graham Mertz at QB. And you got the nerve to say that people are overhyping South Carolina, bro. Let's get real for a second, man. I have way more faith in South Carolina this season than I do Florida. And when you look at their schedule this year, I think that their ceiling is nine wins. And their floor could be six wins. All right? They have some really glaring concerns that really frighten me. Like I said, we don't know how this offensive line is going to play out. This offensive line, once again, is a huge question mark, just like it was last year. The defensive line does really look all that great. You do have some experience coming back on that side, but some of those guys just weren't all weren't that great. So for Shane Beamer, can he work his magic again? You got Spencer Rattler, who should be one of the best QBs in this conference, and you do have a pretty good group of skill position players on this team. It really just comes down to how good is South Carolina going to be in the trenches. When you look at their defense, their secondary is the strength of this team. They were really good at forcing takeaways last year, but that was all this defense was good at. Other than that, this defense could not do anything right. And I don't know if this defense is going to improve all that much this year. Hopefully it does. But even then, some of the teams you are playing, they don't really play great defense themselves. Like, you start the season off playing UNC. UNC, they got Drake Mann QB. They're going to have a really good offense. But like you, they can't play defense to save their lives neither. And their defense may be worse than what your defense was last year. And then you play Georgia after you get done clobbering Furman, which we know that, let's just be honest, you're probably going to lose to Georgia. Although, you know, with Shane Beamer, you can't count out South Carolina in any game. And I already know the mantra in college football any given Saturday. But you're playing on the road in Athens, Georgia, bruh. Not too many teams went on the road in that stadium. And then you got to play Mississippi State. You go on the road to play Tennessee, which you definitely could beat Tennessee again this year. And then after your bye week, you got to play Florida, which I don't think Florida's going to be all that good this year. Yeah, they have a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail. But right now, when it, when you look at their team and their roster going into the 2023 college football season, I think there's a very strong chance that Florida ends up not making it to a bowl game. And I like Billy Napier. I still believe in Billy Napier. I just think that this is going to be a year that Florida retools. You got Missouri. Then you got to play Texas A&M, which I think Texas A&M is going to be amongst the best teams in this conference this year. Then you got Jacksonville State. You got to play Vandy. Kentucky is going to be a really fantastic matchup. Then you got to play Clemson once again. So 
My best case scenario for South Carolina this year is nine wins. And my ceiling for this 10 or yeah, my ceiling for this team is nine wins. Best case scenario, nine wins. Worst case scenario, the floor is six wins. If this offensive line and defensive line doesn't improve, I think that South Carolina is drastically going to struggle this year, regardless of how well Spencer Rattler plays. Because in the SEC, if you don't have good play in the trenches, you're not going to go all that far. And I think that the offensive line held back this offense in a sense because they weren't really good at opening up lanes in the run game and it didn't really give Spencer Rattler a lot of time to throw the football but I think South Carolina most definitely does over overachieve again this year I don't think too many people expect them to win more than seven six games a lot of record predictions have them at six seven wins I think there's a strong chance that they possibly get back to eight wins I don't do game-by-game game predictions. It's just that I just have a lot of faith in Shane Beamer. Beamer ball, people. The Beamer boys are once again going to overseed expectations, man. I am not overlooking and counting out South Carolina, man. This is one of my favorite teams to watch outside of how they destroyed Hendon Hooker's Heisman hopes. Because y'all know I'm a diehard Hendon Hooker fan. That's the only thing that hurt me watching South Carolina players, what they did to Hendon Hooker. But outside of that, I love watching South Carolina football. This is probably my second favorite team to watch behind the Miami Hurricanes. And this was the team I was rooting for when Miami was giving me nothing to root for when they were getting blown out by Duke. Duke, fam. But I think South Carolina most definitely going into year three under Shane Beamer. They're going to be able to overseed expectations. The over-under win total right now is at six, six and a half. I definitely feel like they should be able to surpass that this year. I think that there are a lot of games on this schedule that could go either way. They got a good chance of being able to beat North Carolina. We already know that that game with Mississippi State could go either way. I think they have a chance of being able to dethrone Tennessee depending on how well their secondary plays in that matchup. Same thing with Kentucky, maybe Clemson. So let me know how good you guys think South Carolina football is going to be in 2023. The Buffalo Bills for the last couple of years have been a popular pick to win the Super Bowl. And for the last couple of years, they have not been able to live up to those expectations. They go to the postseason and they always seem to disappoint. And that brings me to the question, has the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl window closed? I had a friend of mine who asked me this, and I'm going to say this. I don't believe in that whole Super Bowl window nonsense because there's no such thing as a Super Bowl window. Prime example was when the freaking Cincinnati Bengals went to the Super Bowl in 2021. You mean to tell me that you saw that coming? Hell no. Prime example why the Super Bowl window thing doesn't exist and it doesn't matter. Any team is capable of being able to win the Super Bowl any given season. And I think as long as you have Josh Allen, you're always going to have a shot at being able to win the Super Bowl. And I do think that the Buffalo Bills shouldn't be scoffed over. They shouldn't be overlooked. Everybody's excited about the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals and the Miami Dolphins. But the Buffalo Bills, I think some people are kind of a little bit low on due to the fact that they haven't really lived up to the high expectations that many people in the national media have given them for the last couple of years. But don't let that disappointment from the last couple of years 
make you forget that the Buffalo Bills still have one of the best rosters in the NFL. You're going to have Von Miller coming back fully healthy. This dude was a menace before he went down that season getting injury last year. Then you sign Leonard Floyd to put on the opposite side of him. Gregory Russo, this dude is going to break out eventually. You got Ed Oliver, one of the better defensive tackles in the NFL. You were able to re-sign Matt Milano. Yeah, you took a couple of losses. You lost Jermaine Edmonds in free agency. But I mean, you still have a damn good defense. Leslie Frazier is no longer the D.C. Doug, Sean McDermott is going to be taking over as the play caller on the defensive side of the football, which this is somebody who has a lot of experience calling plays on the defensive side of the ball. So I don't think there's going to be too much of a drop-off on defense. It's just that this defense doesn't show up in big moments in the postseason when Buffalo's defense needs to get a stop in the playoffs against great teams and great quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. Oftentimes, like always, they come up short. And I really think that they were banking on Von Miller to be that difference maker. If he's able to stay healthy and you get him come postseason time, I definitely think that the Bills' Super Bowl chances increase. I think that the Buffalo Bills are kind of being a little bit overlooked. I do not think that the championship window for Buffalo has closed because I don't think it exists. Offensively, you got to stop being so overly reliant on Josh Allen, and Josh Allen has to take way better care of the football. This dude is way too loose with the football at times, and the thing with Josh Allen is really weird. He plays really good when he's behind, but when he's ahead, that's when he gets loosey-goosey with the football. You can't have that happening when you're trying to be a Super Bowl caliber football team, and Part of the reason for that is because Buffalo doesn't have a dominant run game. And you don't need a dominant run game to win the football, but you at least need to be able to run the football when you want to. And that's something that Buffalo hasn't been able to do outside of relying on Josh Allen. I don't think they need another receiver to solidify their chances to win the Super Bowl. Although getting DeAndre Hopkins or another option to pair alongside of Stephon Diggs would be nice. I don't think Gabe Davis is bad. I don't think he's overrated. I just that I just think that a lot of people in the fantasy football community were gassing up Gabe Davis just a little bit too much. You got Don Kincaid out of Utah. I watched a lot of him when he was playing for Utah. This dude could be a really big asset for Buffalo. Although I don't think he's going to have a great rookie season because not too many good tight ends just hit the ground running in their first years outside of Kyle Pitts. You do have Dawson Knox still. I'm a big believer in James Cook. This dude is going to be a do-it-all back. Not only is he going to be really explosive with the football, but I also think he's going to be a phenomenal threat in the passing game, which is something that you didn't get out of Devin Singletary all that much. The offensive line slightly improved. So I don't think that the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl window has closed. I don't think there's anything called a Super Bowl window. I don't think that exists. I just think that that's some... National media made nonsense that people use for talking points. The Buffalo Bills should most definitely be taken serious in the Super Bowl conversation. Although you may not be as high on them like teams like the Miami Dolphins and the Bengals and the Ravens. like They most definitely are still one of the most talented teams in the AFC. And they are being a little bit overlooked. I think that a lot of people are 
relying too much on the fact that they kind of disappointed the last couple of years when they were everybody's favorites to make it out of the AFC and the fact that they've been unable to dethrone Kansas City and Cincinnati kind of has given people a sour taste in their mouth when it comes to the Buffalo Bills but I definitely think that this team is more than equipped of being able to win the Super Bowl they got a good coaching staff they got a phenomenal roster I'm not kind of not the Buffalo Bills even though I'm not as high on them as compared to other teams in the AFC I do think that they are more than capable of being able to win the Super Bowl and as long as Josh Allen remains the QB I think that the Buffalo Bills are always going to be in that Super Bowl conversation and I recently said that I think that Joe Burrow is better than Josh Allen. And I stand on that. I'm not apologizing for that. And I'm not changing on that until Josh Allen shows me otherwise. But that doesn't mean that Josh Allen still isn't an elite quarterback. He's still one of the best QBs in the game. He's still arguably the third or second best QB in a lot of people's eyes. So regardless of how loosey-goosey he gets with the football, like this dude is damn near unstoppable at times. And Buffalo is really hard to stop when Josh Allen is playing his best football. So I think that the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl window has not closed. I think that they more than have a great chance at being able to capture their first ever championship in franchise history. But let me know, do you guys think that the Super Bowl window has passed for the Buffalo Bills? One thing that I do feel is that, like, the Buffalo Bills did miss a great opportunity to win the Super Bowl and make it out of the AFC because prior to last year, the AFC was not as talented and loaded as what it is now. Now you got Trevor Lawrence, who is pretty much on the brink of becoming a top three QB, top five quarterback in the game. You got Aaron Rodgers with the New York Jets now. I think he's going to shake back and have a great season for New York. You got the Miami Dolphins, who as long as Tua can stay healthy, they're going to be in that conversation. They improve their defense. There are a lot of talented teams in the AFC. We didn't even get to the AFC North. You got the Ravens, who are going to be in that conversation. You got the Cleveland Browns, who could be a dark horse contender. Pittsburgh is starting to come up. Cincinnati's still there. We know about Kansas City. for So for the Buffalo Bills, they really did miss a peak opportunity when it was really just the Kansas City Chiefs and then the Buffalo Bills and everybody else. Now the AFC is just so stacked and loaded that I think that a lot of people kind of are starting to forget about Buffalo because everybody's just so interested in in the new good teams that's coming out. You know, when there are teams like Jacksonville that haven't had a lot of success in a long time, people are quick to hop on that bandwagon. Then you already know about the Joe Burrow stands out there. I'm one of them, and I'm proud to be one. You got Lamar Jackson, who when he's healthy, the Ravens are always in contention for the one seed. So for the Buffalo Bills, I'm not going to say that the Super Bowl window for them has closed, but they definitely did miss a prime opportunity to take advantage of the AFC West when it wasn't as talented as what it was now. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Make sure that you like the video, subscribe to the channel for more NFL and college football content. Listen to the JT Sports Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms. We're not just available on YouTube. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. Leave us with a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode. Remember 
that you can find us on whichever podcasting service that you use. All you got to do is type in the JT Sports Podcast and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, and you have the links to the Apple and Spotify podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Make sure that you leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern time. And I will see you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.